Like the music? You know what that is, Ray? You still got a job? Why wouldn't I? Let the kid die on your shift. Well, my fault. How many times you got to tell yourself that before you believe it? Just the once. <sighs> Running out on your shift. I'd have to guess family. Wife and kid doing okay, Frankie? Everybody healthy? Yeah? Problems with the old lady? <laughs> Uh-oh. Really? The wife? Hmm? She's stepping out on you. That's hard, honey. Oh. So, when you left her shift and you left the kid to die, had you just heard about it, or did you walk in on your wife banging some other guy? You sure you want to die like this, Ray? Dangling from a rope? Oh, you don't know what that sound is? They're building the gallows just for you, buddy. You know that if the weight's off, Ray, the length of the rope is off, even an inch, it makes the difference between strangling to death slowly and snapping your neck quick. And either way, you shit yourself. Gotta die wearing a diaper, Ray. Ain't that a hell of a way to check out? Right. Right. It's still up to you, you know. And how you go out. You decide how to exit this world. Welcome to Long Story Short. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Courtright. We've thus far on this program had the privilege of speaking with a writer-director, as well as a writer-actor-director, who both have aided us in our ongoing journey learning about the art of storytelling from both the writing and acting points of view. Today's guest is a professional writer-producer for television, as well as a prolific story editor. His work has covered a wide range of episodic TV genres. And he is no longer able to watch the animated comedy show, Archer. Please welcome to the program, Brett Conrad. Brett, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Before we begin, I should allow you to quickly explain the whole Archer thing. Yeah, Archer, that was a bittersweet experience. It, um, that show, when it came out, I was working or had just worked for FX. 
uh, at the time. And it, uh, I loved it instantaneously as, as hard as you can love uh, something. It was hysterically funny. It was so smart. It was my sense of humor. And, and I dug it. And I immediately called uh, my, my closest friend there at the network uh, and told her, I said, I love this show so much. If you ever need a freelance episode, anything, I'll, I'll do it for free. You know, and um, which, you know, I told told that to my manager at one point. He said, you said, what? Don't ever say you'll do anything for free because they'll actually believe you and take you up on that. Right. Um, but then uh, the next year, uh, that same friend, she was leaving the network and she was going to become Justin Lin's uh, producer in his television ventures. And she said, I actually have uh, the season two. They need a, a, a freelance script of Archer. And, uh, you know, do you, do you want to do it? Uh, I think your sensibility is right. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I totally want to do it. So I was so excited to do it. And and uh, I never ended up talking to Adam Reed, uh, the creator of Archer. On the phone, it seemed like a really freewheeling, freewheeling experience uh, of how he was letting people, you know, write some episodes. And um, I was like, because I was expecting the general process of beating it out every story beats and sending in like a, 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 a beat sheet and then an outline and then this rigorous back and forth process is normally how it works. And I just sort of got like, nah, nah, don't, you know, just kind of write what you want. Like you want to do that idea about a, about a safe house for spies. Okay. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Do that. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is, I've, I've, I've this is the promised land. This is, <laughs> this is every screenwriter's dream. No, no meddling or, or anything. And it was just too good to be true. And I sort of starting to figure out, yeah, it is too good to be true. Basically, long story short, uh, what I uh, what what I realized was that it was it was under protest. I think that Adam had uh, uh, anybody write another episode because he wanted to write every episode, and that that the network just didn't think he would meet his deadlines uh, on it. And um, he. Uh, yeah, so I, he never had really any intention of producing this episode, but I put my guts into it, man. I put my heart and soul into it. I loved the jokes. I was so proud of it. It was a clever idea, and I just sort of turned it in. I'm like, hey, how's, what's anything going on with that? What's Is there feedback? Is there notes? Do they want to rewrite? And I just sort of kind of pulled it out of uh, the executive, the replacement executive, uh, that, uh, yeah, they're going to do their own stuff. I'm like, oh, so it was just a runaround. And it was just, it was so, it, it crushed me. It hurt me so bad. If I was a bigger man, I would have just kept watching and enjoyed the show. But then every single time I tried to turn it on and watch it, it was just like, I was gritting my teeth. That I was like, why couldn't mine be there? So I got paid for it, you know, which was nice, uh, everything. But um, yeah, no, sadly, uh, just, just about more than any bit of episodic television I've written, that was the one I wanted to see on screen. And um Nope, just wound up uh, wound up in a drawer somewhere. Oh god! So so welcome to the world of Hollywood writing, right? Yeah, pretty much. It was uh, it was it was yeah, it was a bummer, and and I can't uh, you know I don't know. It, it's it's uh, you know it, at the end of the day, as I tell every writing uh, like assistant, somebody that wants to get into the world of uh, of writing is like, anytime you get paid to write, you win. It's yeah. a it's a good thing. You 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 won. You know, so I got paid, so I guess that's good. But uh, really, I, I wasn't kidding. I would have done it for free because I just wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. But, oh, well. Well, I want to pick your brain dry about the world of TV writing, and I'm going to be barraging you with endless questions. But first, I want to learn a little bit about you. Do I understand you're basically a Midwestern boy? 
Pretty much, yeah. Uh, born in Texas, raised in Kansas and Oklahoma, so with a short stint in Orange County. So uh, besides that, yeah, pretty much the, the right there in the buckle of the Bible Belt. What are your first memories of stories? Were you one like as a child where you love to have stories read to you by the parents or that sort of stuff? Or like, seeing a movie, seeing TV? When did you first realize, I like this, I like stories? You know, I, I don't have any particular memory of, of you know, anybody reading mom or dad reading to me at night or wanting the story read or anything like that. Especially, I, I loved performing when I was young and, and, and I always thought I was going to be an actor when I was younger. And I, I certainly... Uh, fell in love with movies because of my mom. Uh, we would stay up late watching old movies, uh, you know, on, on, on whatever channel. Yeah. Um, after like old old game shows, I remember watching old Groucho Marx, You Bet Your Life with my mom and the Honeymooners and things like that. And then we'd watch whatever old movie. And I just sort of absolutely developed a, a love of movies uh, because of my mom. And um, and yeah, that was that was certainly what set me on the path. And like I say, I always thought it was going to be uh, acting, but sometime, uh, really not until college, I, not even high school did I ever write any sort of like creative writing for myself. It just, I just got an itch one, one, one time in, in college, um, and decided to put pen to paper and like, yeah, I kind of like this. And, uh, it really, really started there, which I guess maybe is later in most writers lives. Maybe they usually start younger, but no, nope, not for me. Uh, but when I first did it, it definitely was like, okay, this is I, anything else I was thinking about that I might want to do, like, forget it. There's nothing I love more than this. Yeah. So, so there was basically a latent talent there that came along a little bit later than, like they're saying, maybe other people. You weren't doing it when you were 10 or something, but that's, hey, better late than never, right? Yeah. No, is, is, is you're lucky to find any passion uh, in, in, in life, you know, beyond obviously like love with other people. Uh, or anything, but uh, something that you love to do. Uh, I know plenty of people, maybe even the majority of people I know, go through life and they just, you know, it's work. They wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun if they called it work, you know. And, and um, you know, few actually love what they do. And and I, from the very beginning, even before I was making any money uh, on it, uh, I loved to do it, you know. And it was my manager, uh, who I've been with for half my life at this point used to say and always said he reminded me of this not too long ago that if I if I got stranded on a desert island I would you know find a piece of parchment somewhere and, and start scraping in stories start writing stories just for myself right. uh, on the island because uh, I'm, I'm the most prolific writer he, he he's ever worked with and, and he just knows that that's part of me. So how then did you go from that to getting into the professional writing business? Yeah, well, it, it's not a very original story. I did it pretty much like most people do it. I think I, I, I once I realized what I wanted to do and finished college, I, I, you know, came out here, packed everything in the wagon, and drove, drove west, young man, and I dragged my uh, my my best friend with me, uh, who had no idea what he was doing, <laughs> and uh, we came out here and we're just completely lost together, uh, and, and somehow wound up in Glendale, which might as well be Arizona in LA terms, um, and then quickly broke the lease and then moved it closer into the city and, and, and just started hacking away at it, which is just writing constantly. Um, I, I was lucky enough to have a, have a strong work, work ethic from the very beginning that, uh, cause I know a lot of times people, and this is again, you know, my managers would always say that 
you know, they have a client that writes a script they love or it's a good script or, or whatever. And then they just wait for something to happen with that and they don't keep working. And I always kept working and just pumping out the next one and doing, you know, what's, what am I going to do next while this one is, you know, in the process of trying to sell or get made or whatever. Uh, so, so it was pretty much just dogged legwork. Uh, I, I got a job working in a coffee shop right, you know, when I was 22, 23, right out of college. And, um, you know, it was interesting because it's L.A. and I found this like swanky coffee shop in Santa Monica. So a lot of players would come through there, a lot of actors, a lot of directors, a lot of agents, a lot of producers uh, and these people. And, and um, I, it was a weird thing to uh, to be that close to, you know, people that you knew that were successful uh, in, in your field. But, you know, you're just a serviceman in their eyes. You're like, give me my latte, kid. Right. Like, yeah, 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 great. You're a writer. How wonderful for you. Can I please have my half-calf mochaccino? Uh, you know, so I'm like, hey, would you want to read? No. Like, I didn't do that too often. I didn't push my stuff on them. But but uh, so I saw them constantly all the time. You know, I, I Steven Spielberg, you know, came in there. And uh, and I actually I met him because I weirdly became friends with his wife, Kate Capshaw, uh, through some strange uh, coincidence of... Um, <laughs> of I used to we had these paper plates that we never did anything with and I would write random jokes and trivia questions and things on them and and I and I happened to I misidentified her character from Indiana Jones uh on uh, on one of these plates and she came in that day I'd never seen her before it was just a weird coincidence and uh, she's like excuse me this is wrong and I turn around I'm like Look, people, I'm tired of you trying to correct me on this all the time. And it's Kate Capshaw. I'm like, oh, 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 man. And she's like, well, yeah, you know, no, the name was not Charlie. It was Willie. And, you know, did you know that the character, you know, was named after the writer's dog? I'm like, yeah, it was Lawrence Kasdan's dog, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, of course I knew that. So we were kind of friendly and chummy after that whenever she would come in. And she brought the old man in one day, Spielberg. Actually, she brought him in the morning after he won an Oscar for Saving Private Ryan. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so I met him the day after he won an Oscar, and you know, she introduced me to him, and and um, he was very nice, and and uh, he, he like busted my busted my chops about uh, about uh, getting that uh, question wrong or whatever about the you know the character, and um, you know, I saw him a couple of times after that. Always very nice, but everybody was always around me, my coworkers and the regulars, whatever. It's like you got to give money your scripts. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to shove a script in Steven Spielberg's hand while he's trying to get a coffee. Like he's uh, no, I, I just can't do that. So, so I put in my time, you know, there, and uh, I would meet all these different people, and you know, I got to got friendly with some of them, and I got you know introduced to an agent here or there, or an executive here or there, and like, hey, and you know, they did ask to read something of mine, and nothing ever really panned out that way. Although that manager that I speak of, I did meet in a roundabout way through somebody there in that coffee shop. Uh, that I gave him the script of mine, and he was an executive somewhere, a young executive, and he read it to my surprise, and uh, called me back a couple of weeks later, and then you know, asked about representation. Like, ah, I don't have any representation. He's like, well, let's hook you up with somebody, and you know, he he passed me along to this young manager he knew, and um, that is the manager that I have today, twenty some odd years later. Wow. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. So, you know, that year, year and a half or whatever I worked in that coffee shop did uh, pan out, I guess, in the sense that I have a, a long 21-year relationship uh, with, uh, with the same manager. 
I really admire the tenaciousness you showed there by sticking with it, working hard and writing all the time, because uh, that can be hard for some people, but you really stuck with it, so obviously it paid off. Interesting, like turn of phrase that you say right there, uh, the, the tenaciousness of it. One of the people that I met in that coffee shop was uh, a man, Casey Silver, who was the head of Universal Pictures. And he had just recently left that job or been pushed out or whatever, you know, however exactly it happened and uh, just became a, a producer. Uh, and he and his wife came in there and, and we talked a little bit. He, he laughed at one of the little things that I wrote on the paper plates and we talked and he said, you know, once he realized that I was a writer, he said like, well, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've obviously been around long time and seen everything and i and for writers especially i truly believe it all comes down to tenacity uh that is the one thing it's more important than talent frankly yeah um, that uh, it's just he who stays in the game long enough is, is going to outlast everybody else and you know will eventually get noticed and talent helps obviously but uh tenacity was was the thing and that was his his pearl of wisdom uh, that he gave me as obvious as it might seem um it was weird because I was, I don't know, at that time I was 24 or five or something. And I was just ready to like, uh, you know, I've just been beaten down. I'd served too many cappuccinos to, to, uh, you know, uh, housewives coming to their, uh, uh, yoga session. And I was just really getting bummed out. And I was like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to move to New York and go write a book or something. Uh, and I'd go back to school and get my master's. Like that's going to make any difference. Right. And, and, um, you know, he said that to me then I'm like, yeah, okay. That's, you know, I, I actually needed to hear that right now. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, I, st I stuck around for a couple more years before I ran away to New York, uh, for, for a little bit. Well, when you combine the tenacity with, with obviously is the talent that you have, then obviously that pays off very well. So that's, it's a great story, especially for our listeners, if they're interested in writing good, good story for them to know, to stick with it. Now, in the introductory episode of this show, I talked about one of the main themes that we want to push here is that writers don't, in my opinion, seem to get the kind of credit they deserve for providing all of this wonderful stories they do. So do you agree with the view that writers, especially TV writers, just don't get the recognition they deserve? Well, um, it's, 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 it's a weird fine line. I mean, uh, the, the cliche is certainly, you know, of, of the big above the line branches of, of movie making and TV making, you know, that, 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 uh, that writers are insecure and directors are egomaniacs and, and, uh, actors are stupid. You know, that's the, those are the big stamp cliches, you know, of each of those. And, you know, like every cliche, there's a kernel of truth in that, but there's a kernel of, of, uh, or a bigger, much larger kernel of, uh, of, of not quite exactly correct. And there are definitely, definitely, days on every single job I've ever had where I've most certainly felt that way, where it's like, uh, it's like no respect is being where everybody under the sun is giving me notes. You know, every executive at the studio or the network, every assistant, uh, is giving me notes and you just want to scream. None of you are actual writers. Why do you think you can tell me how to write? And nonetheless, they do. And it is most definitely uh, uh, the, the, the singular profession in the entire industry where, where everybody thinks that they can do it. And, and they're definitely all united in the idea that you're doing it wrong. Um, you know, so you definitely feel that most, most times coming out of development meetings and, and, uh, and rewrite meetings and things like that, 
where just you just feel bombarded by, by these notes, you know, and, and it's 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 a it's a subjective thing, you know, whether or not you think, you know, this scene is working or this character is working or this line is funny or this moment is dramatic enough or whatever it is, you know, and a particular executive might be seeing it, you know, trying to like they have a humor bent or whatever, a comedy bent, you know, and like, like they always want to lean something in that direction and you're wanting to go in a different direction. And it's like, well, yeah, your note might work for a different script and a different story and a different character, but you know, that's not what I'm trying to do here. So it's, it's a thing, you know, that you just basically have to roll with and figure out. And, um, that's, that's, that's the way it is, but it's, but it's, there's times where, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, you want to just uh, scream to the heavens that uh, somebody, you know, respects that it's a blank white piece of paper until I do something with it, um, you know. But at the same time, you work in it long enough, you realize that actors have a tough job, man. It is their face on the screen there forever, and the camera captures everything, uh, you know, and, and if they hit the wrong move and and don't hit the line right you know even though they're fully capable of hitting the line right but if they don't and it's somehow you know cut print and that's the one thing that goes it's forever going to be you know like them that's made fun of you know you know for for this line and you know if whatever reason it happens the director doesn't get the right performance out of the actor or the editor cuts it wrong or whatever and it just goes to to print you know so that's on them you know and and they have to make it come alive it's it is you know a writer can write a beautiful scene and an actor still has to figure out how to sell it how to move in the body of this character to deliver that you know great line uh and and you know they're going to get the glory of that performance as well they should for that at the same time actors you know like because we all know that there's bad television out there there's bad movies out there that you know and you have talented you see it all the time you have talented actors in terrible movies and, and, you know, it's their job to lift, uh, you know, less than stellar material, uh, you know, if that's the case. So it's, it's a big task that they have, you know, and same thing with directors, you know, it, it, it's a, you know, usually, you know, multi-million dollar production that's going on. And there's a lot of people asking them for, for questions, department heads of every kind. You're on a very, especially in television, you're on a very strict uh, budget. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a schedule and you know full well that you know there's an episode coming right after yours with a different writer and a different director that's right there and you are in these narrow like usually like six seven day uh shooting schedules you know for an episode uh and if they go over budget you know at all uh there's going to be a black mark on their name and their next job uh is is going to be in jeopardy of getting that of like ah they're the director that goes over budget all the time so they they're sweating it i i know it i see it all the time they're definitely sweating the budget the timing schedule you know you got a 12 hour shoot day and they have to make those hours uh, otherwise that's more money and it just goes on so i mean they they got a they got a heavy job too everybody has a heavy job i suppose is is, is what it comes down to uh you realize uh once you're actually you know in the wars long enough that, um, yeah, you know, uh, everybody's got to deal with it. So, you know, to, uh, to, to point the finger in one direction that, you know, this is harder or that's easier is, is, is foolish. Cause it's all hard. That's a very diplomatic answer. I appreciate well, it. It's, I mean, I'm not even trying to be, you know, like, uh, Hey, we're all friendly here. It's like, I'm not even trying to believe me. I, I would definitely call, you know, call them out. Uh, but it's the truth is the thing of it but there's also you know as i was alluding to there uh 
people that are bad at their jobs, you know, yeah. that, you know, just you can see it aren't directed well, aren't written well, aren't acted well, you know, and they're to blame uh, when that happens. And that's why they pay them money. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm a huge TV guy. I have been all my life. And that's one of the reasons I'm very excited to have you here, because I really want to learn about how that whole process works. So I'm going to kind of barrage you with a lot of questions about how the system works, um, starting with what is the hierarchy of episodic TV when it comes to a writing staff? Who's up here and, and how does that work? It's pretty similar to like uh, an army rank. In, uh, in, in, in how it's ranked, like specifically in, in television writing, the lowest staff position there is is just called a staff writer, um, uh, it, you know, which would be, you know, correlate to an army private. And then it just goes up, you know, each step, you know, after staff writer, story editor, then executive story editor, then co-producer, then producer, then supervising producer, co-executive producer, executive producer, uh, and showrunner, you know, and it's basically equal to, you know, like the private corporal sergeant, lieutenant, uh, you know, uh, captain, major colonel, general, uh, and it's and it's it's just like that. There's a little less rigidity uh, in, in in what you actually do and perform, uh, obviously, than there would be in the army. But um, there is, you know, th there's different environments in every room. Um, but for the most part, short of the you know the showrunner, the executive producer. All those different people at those different levels, from story editor to co-executive producer to whatever, they have an equal voice in the room. Uh, I, I really haven't been in too many rooms where, I mean, I've been in some bad, toxic rooms, but, but I haven't been in too many rooms where uh, there's been any sort of uh, delineation of, of attitude or something like that for the people of, you know, in the, in the lower ranks uh, versus, versus the higher ranks. It's like, you know everybody speaks, everybody, you know, you got to have good ideas. You got to, you got to move forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've never really seen anybody, you know, pull rank, like, well, co-executive producer, like, all right, just, you know, settle down, you know, staff writer, story editor. And that's, you know, I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it's happened. I just, uh, I haven't seen it, but, um, yeah, it's, you're all basically expected to do the same job at that point. Once you get in the room, really those titles come down to pay scale, quite frankly. Okay. That makes sense. Now, showrunners, are they usually the creator of the show? Frequently. Uh, frequently. If, um, if for whatever reason they, I mean, that's not, you don't see that credit like, you know, on screen anywhere. It's just sort of like, you know, us in the Hollywood game know, you know, who's running the show. Um, but uh, it's, it's usually the creator of the show, unless the creator of the show happens to be pretty inexperienced, which means that they got really lucky and sold a TV show script, you know, uh, and it went the distance through all the development and everything and actually made it to television and made it, made it to air, uh, you know, but they just haven't done that much television and the network or studio will bring in an experienced hand to sort of like come in at the very beginning then and, and, and sort of run it with them usually is the, uh, is, is how, is, you know, how it goes. But, um, yeah, but most of the time, uh, uh the, uh, the creator of the show ends up being the showrunner. Yeah. And they're usually a writer as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it's it's a it's they oversee all the writing and and um, you know everybody does it a little bit differently. There's some that like then because there's you know production of a television show. There's a lot of stuff to do. It's it's it, it is a it is a long day's job, uh, seven days a week. Uh, they you know they get paid paid really well. Uh, yeah. You know so uh, you know they got then they definitely have to earn their money. And frequently, you know, depending on how well run or poorly run a show is, 
Um, if a show is poorly run, usually that showrunner is going to be like dealing with different department heads, you know, locations and make sure they're getting the right location over here and getting the white right wardrobe over here, casting, dealing with casting over here, or spending a lot of time in post-production because it's an assembly line machine. Like usually there's three things going on at once. Uh, well, there's more than that, but like three fundamental things for the like writing filmmaking process, which is there's something that you're writing there there's an episode that you're writing at the same time there's an episode that is in pre-production uh which is, is a week of prep that happens before you start shooting and then there's shooting and then there's post-production mm. um so there's pre-production shooting and post-production and the showrunner has to oversee all of those things oh, man. you know and and, uh, and the most time consuming uh, is probably post uh post-production which is just you know stitching it together it's editing you're sitting there right there with the editor um, it's, 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 you know, I, I would view it or, you know, if I was categorizing, it's like, it's not especially hard. It's just tedious, you know, and there's, and there's definitely people that are better at it to know how to like, you know, just cut right to the chase and, and get to exactly what they want. Um, you know, so a lot of showrunners, you know, prefer to hand over the bulk of the writing, uh, to like the, his lieutenants or her lieutenants, whatever, uh, they might be the, you know, the, the other writers to oversee the story shaping and, and to work with the writers and then that showrunner will come in the actual writer's room you know maybe as little as, as an hour a day or maybe every other day or something like that to hear like, all right what do you guys got for me you know and like all right this is what we've been working on for the last couple of days and we'll we'll sort of pitch them the ideas go through the ideas of the next episode that, that we're working on and the showrunner have to just sort of quickly like yeah you know like no i don't know about like you know that's good i like that i don't know about that you know what else do we got think of something else you know, that sort of oversee that, you know, storytelling process. And then at the same time, you know, somebody's concurrently writing a script for whatever episode, uh, you know, and that showrunner in theory, you know, is having to read the drafts, which obviously takes time and then give notes on it uh, and have that writer go back and rewrite that episode. Uh, you know, and then at some point, you know, depending on how involved they are, they'll take a pass themselves at it and take a pass and, and, and do some do some writing on it. Maybe. Uh, showrunner, every showrunner is different that way and how much time they allot themselves for each one of those, uh, steps along the way. But the point is, is that they have to oversee all of those steps at the same time. And so they, they, they have long hours. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by this. So the creator of the show, perhaps the showrunner, whomever it is, do they come in at the beginning of a season when everybody congregates, we're about to start a new season with a story arc of some sort that's supposed to run through the whole season? You know, just some element that runs through a whole season. Is that pretty common? It's fairly common, but it's not always the case. I mean, like uh, the show I'm working on right now is this uh, show Yellowstone, mm -hmm. uh, this Western with Kevin Costner that just uh, just came out this summer. Big hit for the for, for the network. And um, the creator of that show, Taylor Sheridan, I, I worked with him on Sons of Anarchy years back when he was an actor on that show. And he had written and directed uh, the entire first season himself. And he calls me up out of the blue. It was actually pretty funny. Uh, I hadn't talked to him in years. And I'm sitting there. It's in the middle of the day. And I had, this was earlier this year. And I wasn't, um, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't working on a show at the time. So I was sitting here at home. And I was watching Nicole Wallace tell me whatever the hell Trump did that day uh, as I was eating my lunch. And my phone rings. And 
something's loud on the television, whatever. I answer the phone and, and, uh, this person is like, Hey, blah, 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 and I, I don't hear what he says. And then he starts talking about this, uh, pilot TV pilot that, that I wrote, uh, called God Inc. God incorporated. I was like, Oh, that, got it. that was great, man. What's going on with that? It's like, are you talking to HBO? I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to HBO. And I have no idea who this is on the phone. Right. And I'm just like, I, have, it was, I answered the phone when it was a number I didn't know, which I rarely do. And it's like, I'm, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, who is this? It's like, I, he seems to know all about my pilot that I'm working on right now. And like, I, I'll figure this out pretty soon. I swear, like, two minutes go by. And I eventually, I just got no idea. And eventually, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, who, who is this? Who am I talking to? He's like, it's Taylor Sheridan. I'm, I'm like, oh, <laughs> hey, man. How you been for the last seven years? <laughs> and uh, and uh, so you know we laugh. We talked some shit about Kurt Sutter from Sons of Anarchy because uh, you know that's we both we both were in that penitentiary. And um, it uh, and Taylor's had great success in the last few years with uh, some of his movies that he's done. And he was so he starts telling me about Yellowstone. I'm like, yeah, no, I heard about that. It's coming out this summer, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I wrote them all myself. And directed him, you know, but I can't do that again for the for the second season. I need somebody I trust to come in and sort of like take it over for me. And he's like, what do you think? What are you doing? I'm like, uh, well, awesome. And can I read it? <laughs> and uh, so he sends me all the stuff. And, and it's, it's really interesting, really interesting, cool show that he's done. And he's a terrific writer. And um, so he asked me to, you know, come in and, do, and, and it's like just me and him. And he's like, do you think do you think we need another writer? I'm like, well, one more writer might be good, especially if you're going to step back and you know not do you know as much this season. Uh, so we get one other writer, so just me and one other writer, and that's it. And uh, for for the second season, that um, the first season hasn't even aired yet at this point, uh, so it's this second season. And so uh, me and this other writer, uh, we fly out to Park City where Taylor lives, uh, and uh, he basically does what you just asked my long-winded uh, answer to uh to, to what you just asked and says like you know this is what i think is the you know gonna happen for you know season two and he gives us the broad arcs of uh where the character's gonna go and where he wants him to end up you know and like as far as like how how it gets there is like i don't know how it gets there let's you know let's just do it let's just start writing and like it's literally on the first day he's like let's just start writing <laughs> we're like me and the other guy john coveney is his name um we're it's like like wow uh okay that's uh that's that's some maverick uh tv writing uh ideas he got there and uh okay writing on day one all right um and and for the last uh i don't know five months whatever that i've been working on this the whole process has been just like nuts and bonkers and and and, and at least partially the greatest job i've ever had yeah. um and uh but yeah it's like he he came to me and then eventually to the to the network studio and was like and you know Taylor being the showrunner, you know, was just like this is uh, this is the general idea of what's going to happen, you know, for this season. And this is where we're going to go, and and we just built from those uh, broad strokes ideas that he had uh, right there, which is liberating, you know, and a little scary at the same time. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting because Taylor has he's he's a pretty big deal in movies right now, and uh, you know, just got nominated for an Oscar last year for Hell or High Water, and um, which was the best movie uh, of the year, I thought. And, or the year before last, I guess. But um, so he's got a lot of juice, and, and and the network and the studio don't mess with him too much, and so we got a lot of freedom, uh, which is pretty nice. Hence, uh, you know, me saying it's it's uh, you know just might be the best job I've ever had. 
you've worked on a lot of different shows. So when you come into a show that's already been going for a couple of seasons, how do you get acclimated into that? You just go back and watch other episodes because you're going to have to learn like the tone of the show, the characters, the peculiarities. It seems like that'd be kind of interesting to have to get in there and be able to write the way that show is written. Yeah, it's, it can be a little tricky at times. Uh, the uh, especially one uh, the 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 clip you played at the top of the show from the killing there, um, that wasn't it because I jumped in on season three on that, and and so most of them most of that room were, knew each other in some capacity or had worked together for the first and second seasons, and here I was like the transfer student basically coming in uh, on that show, and that was. Every show has its own identity and how it works, how, how the, the mood and tone and rhythm of it is. And um, that one was definitely very distinct. Um, and, and Vina Sud, who created and ran that show, uh, has a very particular way that she likes to do things. And it was a little bit different than what I was used to. And so as the transfer student coming in, and not only that, uh, not only a transfer student coming in on season three, but I was actually also the last higher on staff on that show uh and and i started uh three days later i think than the all the other the, like the two or three other new writers that came in that year so not only was i the transfer student i also came in a little bit late uh you know starting that season and you know everybody sort of bonds and meets each other in that first day and you sort of it's like the first day of school and and everybody sees who their friends are and everything where they who they want to sit next to at lunch and here i am coming in late already on a new show that's already you know up and running and uh so it's a little weird and it's a little hard to get acclimated. And that was probably the, the, the roughest uh, go that I had of sort of just catching the rhythm and everything. But yeah, it, it's, you definitely have to do that because I was lucky enough that that show was like, it was a good show. And I, and I was, I was, I was, I wanted the job and I was happy to, to, to work on it. Uh, so it was like, all right, you know, I, I want to, okay, this rhythm's different than, you know, than I'm used to. Her process, her process is definitely different than i'm used to and and uh, but you know i want i want this to go well i want to do you know right by it uh so you try you just try and sway you try and catch the catch the wave and you know sometimes you do sometimes you don't um and um yeah it was i i it's not the only time i've done that i've done that in the middle of a season once on a show when i worked on the vampire diaries uh which was probably the oddest uh thing for me just uh i don't know uh, um it's a little bit outside my box of what I like to do, but, um, but, uh, I came in there in the middle of the first season, um, to, you know, the baseball metaphor there is, uh, as I was the pinch hitter that came in, uh, you know, when they were, uh, you know, down a couple of runs because that show was going really off the rails as nice as Kevin Williamson and Julie Pleck were, they knew that the show was like a mess, uh, in production and wow, that was that was a strange, strange uh, experience because I came in. They had fired just about everybody, and and they had one co-executive producer, uh, so a high-level person that stayed, and and like a staff writer who it was his first job, was stayed, and that was it. And and, and I show up, and and uh, I got a pretty good you know discipline and work ethic, and I'm like all right, you know, I heard this was sort of a mess and you're like, all right, well, let's go. Let's just put some beats up in the board. And these two people and the assistant are looking at me like, what are you doing? And it's like, why, why? Cause you know, Kevin and Julie weren't there. They were doing, they were in post or they were in, you know, doing, doing other things. And they just looked at me like I was bonkers. Like I was just trying to put story beats up on the, on the, on the whiteboard. And, um, 
was like, well, I just thought it'd be good to do something. And it just, I, I realized how futile it was, you know, after a while. And it was like, we wouldn't even start working until like 5 p.m. Oh. on that show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that, that was that was a that was a frequent midnight there till midnight uh, uh, a job. And, and, and it was a little weird. And, and I just did that one briefly for like 12 weeks. Uh, they had hired me for just a, a short a short period and uh when the 12 weeks was up you know they were like all right you know we're gonna you know re-up your contract and i'm like i how about no <laughs> i don't i don't i don't think so i don't think this is for me and and they were actually really gracious uh about it when i just said you know it's just it's just not me it's not my show it's somebody else's dream job you know and and, and you should find that person because you know they'll do right by you and and i think they respected me for that actually and and they've always been uh, nice whenever i've seen them since uh uh, for that. I think the studio was a little upset with me uh, at that because you know they don't like to go through the in- process of investing in somebody and hiring somebody to have to have them bail. But um, yeah, you know, uh, it's life in Hollywood. Well, it sounds like maybe it was a wise decision. Um, when you're writing for a show like Sons of Anarchy, where there's mm-hmm. going to be commercials, I've wondered about this before. You have to keep in mind as you're writing a script that, okay, they're going to need commercial break there and somewhere down there. And so, so you have to actually write building up to like a little cliffhanger or some significant moment because you know it's going to go commercial. I mean, is that how the, the writing has to go with that kind of show? Yeah, I hate that. It, it, uh, it, dr- it drives me nuts that um, those, those built-in mini cliffhangers that um, just feel so fraudulent. And on the aforementioned Vampire Diaries, uh, they had, it was teaser plus six, you know, which means that opening teaser. Uh, and then they had six acts because they have commercials all the time. So you're, you're writing like five minute little, little, little acts and you have to have a little dun, 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 you know, out, especially for a, you know, horror thriller show like, uh, like Vampire Diaries. Um, it's just, it, it, it's awful. It's so fraudulent. Everybody hates it. And um, blessedly have worked on plenty of shows where, you know, premium cable, where we don't have to do that. Um, or, or, or we just ignore it, you know, this is like what we're doing on Yellowstone right now. Yellowstone has uh, act outs, obviously, because there's commercials. We just we do not write them, uh, and we just leave it up to post production, the editors, to like, you know, whenever we need a time break, whatever, just cut it. You know, Mad Men was great at doing that. They did that the same way. Sort of took the BBC uh, method of of doing that and just, you know, just abruptly cut to a commercial uh, whenever and. And I, I think that works just fine. I mean, because people, people watch it, you know, uh, streaming anyways, or, uh, or or you know, on DVR and scan right through it anyways. So um, I, I can't remember the last commercial I saw. So you finished a script. Uh, say you're this the designated writer or with in collaboration with a co-writer or whatever. You've got a finished draft. How much does a script tend to change after that initial? Does it change a lot, or is it, does what you originally written tend to get kept in there for the most part? Well, <laughs> it's uh, we've stumbled upon uh, every writer's least favorite moment uh, in, in this, and it is the uh, the moment when the script coordinator, if you're friendly with him, comes over to you. You know, after you've turned in your draft, and you know the the showrunner or whoever. Uh, you know, does their pass on it and he walks over to you and he flips the script to you and you see, because, you know, when all the, you put it in revision mode is what it's called, uh, the script uh, writing software, and there's asterisks, asterisks on the side of the page, you know, where there's any changes. And so you just get a quick glance of how extensive the changes are by all the asterisks on the side of the page. So it just like will come over to you and like 
flip the page and you see all the asterisks and you just like want to punch the wall and you're you know, and, and um, it just drives you crazy, you know, and you're a writer with pride, you know, and like, you know, it, it's, um, <laughs> I, I remember terrorizing a, um, a, a consultant we had on this uh, Jim Belushi, Jerry O'Connell lawyer show I worked on, The Defenders, uh, it was based on these two lawyers real life and one of the lawyers was in uh, the office at the time and was just sort of asking about process similar to, to where, to what you are. Uh, and he's like, well, how does that, you know, go is like, you know, it's like, do you have a say in that when somebody, you know, changes your writing? And I'm just like, dude, I would rather see my mother fucked by the gardener than be rewritten a single word by anybody. And he just like, just, nah! you know, just somewhere between laughed hysterically and started crying and, and ran out of the room. Uh, cause it's like, that's pretty much how you feel. It, it, it feels like, no, don't change anything you put your guts into that you know and um frankly you should feel that way if you're a writer with pride you should hate it you should like taste the acid in your in your mouth uh when anything gets rewritten because if you don't that means you know you're not writing with pride but you're uh, a professional you know or at least you're supposed to be so you have to just you know <laughs> bite your lower lip and bear down and uh, and that's just you know how it goes because if you put up too much of a fuss obviously you know, you're going to get a reputation and, you know, your contract won't get picked up. Yeah. And then you'll get a reputation for sure. So you got to figure out how to get to that Zen place, man. You got to, you got to, you got to just accept it, but it sucks. Uh, and everybody's different. Um, uh, every showrunner is different. I've, I've worked on shows where they rewrite every single word and I've worked on shows where every word I've written has, has, you know, gone through. Uh, just fine. It's just really a taster's choice for how that showrunner, who's the ultimate, you know, arbiter for everything, you know, how they are. And sometimes, you know, it's obviously human nature. It's, you know, it's ego and, and, you know, they just can't stand it, you know, and, and a showrunner, you know, has to do it, you know, sometimes it's because they genuinely feel like they're making it better. They're, they're making it their show, you know, and, and they want it to be this way. And sometimes they're just, eh, you know, whatever, that's cool. That's good. I'm fine with it. It's just human nature. I suppose there's all types of people, uh, that need to do it, uh, or, or don't do it or, you know, that's just how they see it. But, as much as I hate it and as much as of course it's been done to me, it's, you know, I would never, and even everything I'm saying right now, I would, I, I wouldn't for a second deny that anybody should be allowed to do that to me. You know, if they're the showrunner, it's their show, especially if they're the creator, you know, yeah. it's their show, it's their show, man. You know, it's, it's in their head. It's perfect before anybody does anything in their head. It's perfect. And if their character that they've created is, is hitting one false note to them, damn right they're going to change it you know as well they should um you know and and um so so that's absolutely their right because you know when roles are reversed i am definitely wielding that same sword you know uh somebody uh um, my show is out there and somebody you know just writes something for a character that's just not landing right in my head yeah i'm going to change it until i'm satisfied with it and and at the end of the day that's sort of the thing i had to learn as a writer that I felt like, you know, writer on a TV show specifically, I felt like um, that it's like, oh, I've been hired on this. I'm writing this particular episode and okay, you know, let me do it. This is my episode. And, you know, with obviously the guidance from the person in charge and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I'm one of the writers in the studio network. See, see me that way. That's true. And that's not true. And that it's really the showrunner's job to do 
everything, and I mean everything, and, and it and it should be if it needs to be the case that like a staff of writers is mostly writing something to where it's getting to that place on the finish line, and the showrunner has to come in and touch everything to get it exactly right. That's their job. It should be one voice, you know, that's coming out of that, and it's that showrunner's job to make sure that it is one voice, yeah. and not like you know a writer on a show whose voice is singling out. You know, it, it's it's that's what it's supposed to be. So. Yeah, you know, it's a bittersweet process for sure. But uh, I think the point of what I'm trying to say is being rewritten sucks. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, have you also written feature film scripts? Yeah, I started out in, in features. That's what I always thought it was going to be uh, for me. But uh, as fate and luck would have it, I think I arrived in Hollywood right as the heyday of uh, feature specs, spec, spec, you know, feature scripts yeah. uh, when they were paying big money for them. Right as that ended, I mean, the 90s was really the heyday for big payday writers when like these big guys like Joe Esterhaus and Shane Black uh, and, and people were selling scripts for, you know, Shane Black was the guy that kept breaking his own record. Like, I think he sold the last Boy Scout for for 1.75 million and that was like a record. And then a few years later, he sells The Long Kiss Goodnight for 4.25 million and that's still maybe the highest price paid for a spec script. And, and um yeah, I got here in 98, uh, January 98, and, and it was just starting to die then and, and as I was trying to get my footing and trying to get these agents and everything. Um, so it just got a lot harder uh, in the aughts uh, to, to work in features. And so I kept doing it, kept slogging away, you know, when I finally got my manager and got my, you know, first agent and, and started going along. And, and uh, it's just really, really hard. And, and the movie side of this town, uh, it takes so much longer. I mean, television takes, takes, can take quite a while, but the movie business, the movie side is at a glacial pace that that goes by. And I just got tired of it. You know, I just got, I just got like, I got, well, you know, I got to do something, uh, uh, else, uh, you know, and I didn't want to work in that coffee shop again. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so while I had, you know, a pretty good arsenal of feature scripts going along, I, I sort of, uh, stumbled backwards into Clover with uh, my TV because uh, Sons of Anarchy wasn't just my first job. It was the first time I was, it was my first job interview I ever had. It was the first time I was ever submitted uh, for, to work on a television show. Uh, so it, 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 it uh, I got extraordinarily lucky, you know, like good timing uh, with that, that I got in the room and the guy liked me enough to put me on staff, uh, you know, and, you know, then bring me back to the subsequent seasons and started my, uh, you know, television writing career. Uh, and that became a steady paycheck, but it also is, uh, is, is the, I mean, the old adage television is the writer's medium. And it's true because the television, because the, because the writers are the producers and they're the, you know, consistent ones that run everything. The directors are guests that come in week in, week out to do an episode, but it's the writers that run everything. And, um, television it was also right at the time and what did i say is like january 98 sopranos came out the next year which absolutely changed the face of television uh that it was right around then that all of a sudden the 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 best tv was better than the best movies yeah uh and and uh, this, the quality of storytelling on television because of the sopranos everybody had to match it and it just rose astronomically uh, after that and the rise of cable television and then obviously in the last few years the rise of streaming uh, the the best artistic platform out there is is television uh, writing and that's why you're seeing like 
all these great film directors and film actors uh, happily come to television uh, uh, to work because uh, that's where the best dramatic stuff is. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but the feature side uh, of me most definitely is still a part of my life. I still have uh, a few different things uh, in development and, you know, with different producers and at different places and, you know, looking at, you know, jobs, you know, rewrite jobs and everything, selling things at different studios. Um, it just, it, it just all takes longer. And, and so it's just sort of like, okay, I do that on the side. Uh, I spent the last couple of last two years actually uh, after the last television job, regular television job I had was a it was an NBC show called Allegiance, uh, which was not an especially awesome job. Um, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't awesome, and I just got a little tired of it and and stepped back and I had written this feature that um, huh, got a, it was uh, it was a whirlwind it was a it, it got a lot of attention and i had a lot of like oscar winners and people that were interested in it and wanted to do it and a big oscar producer to do it uh and i got swept up in that and and i was doing feature stuff for the last couple of years and like i was saying before it just takes so long to put it all together uh you know because it's like oh you know okay tom cruise's agent loves it you know but then you got to get tom to read it and that takes two months you know, for that to happen. So you're just waiting around and you can't like, you can't give it to Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt at the same time. You got to give it to Tom Cruise, wait two months for him to read it. And then he passes and then you give it to, you know, Brad or whatever. Cause you can only do one at a time because no agent is going to give it to multiple people because they don't want to look you know bad if one says yes. And then they have to say, Oh, sorry, you know, Christian Bale, you can't do it because Brad Pitt wants to do it. You know? So yeah. one at a time. So it takes forever. So like, yeah, I do them concurrently, uh, do these different things talking with uh, my agents this week about uh, a new feature that I wrote that they love and they're trying to put together uh, with actors and directors. It's like, all right, you do that. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to go over here on you know, Yellowstone and, and, and you know, work on Cowboys and Indians. That's great. Which is, yeah, a pretty good, pretty good, uh, pretty good job to have uh, there in the background. Yeah. Well, with TV, I, I'm probably a bit of an unusual person, but for the longest time that I can remember, when I really like a show... I watch to the very end of the credits and I always want to see who wrote the episodes and I get to know the names of the staff writers on shows. And I've always noticed that they're also producers. So mm -hmm. is, is that just a standard thing with television writers that they are also producers? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just effectively the title that they have. Cause uh, you know, I mean, I honestly, I suppose, you know, at the end of whatever episode, they could just say like writers, and just list like, you know, eight people. Um, but, you know, we give ourselves titles. And producers, I mean, we do producing work. Uh, you know, it's like when it comes around to an episode that you wrote, you're there usually, not always. I mean, everything's a little bit different. But uh, you're, you're there on set and you're the producer on set. And you're, you are protecting the script. And, you know, you're making sure that the director gets the stuff. Because, again, the director is a guest. You know, they frequently don't know what happened in the episode before and have no idea what's going after. So like you got to tell them like, yeah, we got the shot, you know, from, from the actor, you know, that, that we need. And you, you know, all the, you know, department heads are coming to you, you know, to, to answer questions. And that's when, if you can't answer them, you sort of like got to call up the, the showrunner like, Hey, you know, can we cut this scene down over here? Cause we're not going to make our day. And, and it's, it's producing and it's the job, you know? So you do that frequently depending most of the time on, you know, where the shoot is um you don't necessarily go to sets i mean like obviously i live here in los angeles 
uh, and most of the writers' rooms are in Los Angeles, but say like, you know, take uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, two of my favorite shows that uh, the writers' rooms are here in Los Angeles, but they shoot that uh, in New Mexico. And, you know, so, you know, uh, I think most of the time they send the, the writers and producers out to the set for that, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have what they call a directing producer who um, is there constantly, you know, on set and they just sort of oversee the production and, and you don't actually end up doing any, you know, quote unquote producing at all. Um, but nonetheless, that's the title that, that they give you when it becomes most, you know, on, on the other side of it, most like relevant, I suppose, is in contract negotiation. Um, um, because it generally comes down to two things, you know, when you're being, getting hired on a staff, you know, when you're negotiating and get your lawyer in there, it's, you know, payment and title, uh, and, Call back to what I said earlier about the, you know, the insecure writers. Uh, we definitely all get caught up in that title, you know, and like, you know, wanting to get, you know, finally into the producing ranks or, you know, secure that co-executive producer title or the coveted executive producer title because they really don't like giving that away. And we create this thing in our head where it, like it matters to us. And like when I was a lower level writer, uh, it definitely did. You know, I was like, I, don't, I didn't want to be a story editor anymore. I want to be a you know, co-producer, you know, at least. Uh, and like you find yourself when you're talking with your agents and your lawyers on the phone, you're getting hired on something like, oh, well, they won't give you, you know, supervising producer credit, you know, but they'll give you, you know, like, you know, 14, five, you know, per episode salary or, so, or something like that. And it's like, they're leveraging these two different things off of you like, okay, we'll go back, you know, we'll say 15, you know, um, um, you know, per episode, you know, but we got to have, you know, supervising producer blah, blah, blah. And, and, and the student, and then you get call back or something like that. And like, all right, we're willing to give you supervising producer, but you're staying at 14, five, you know, and, and, and you're like, ah, okay, good. I got it. And then you like, you think that you just won something or that you got something, but you just realize later, or like when you're older or in it long enough, like, ah, that's just stupid. It's meaningless. The title's completely pointless. Like I just, I just gave away money, uh, for some dumb title that has no bearing. And so like it, like everybody, you know, I fall prey to it. I'm a sucker to it. Uh, but I finally, in my ripe old age, uh, figured out that it's a stupid bargaining tactic that it had to be like the studios and the producers guild, you know, came up with to uh, use something to chip away at that the only thing that matters in negotiation, which is money and salary. Um, that uh, that so like I tell all my I always end up being sort of a, a, a mentor to the younger like assistants on staff that want to be, you know, writers. Uh, you know, when they get their first jobs and everything and I you know, tell them, it's like, don't get like, forget the title. Don't get caught up in like negotiating title and everything. It's like just money, just go after the money and stay with the money specifically in the, you know, the negotiation for the contract, because, you know, on that side of it, like, yeah, titles are, are pointless, you know, it's like, you know, it's the residuals and the money that, you know, that you're going to get that are going to like matter at the end of the day. This is obviously outside of, you know, art. And, and the writing itself, uh, just the, just the business side of it. Um, but yeah, so those, those titles are, like I said, kind of meaningless. Cause once you get in the room, you know, you have eight people in there that all have different titles, story editor and, and, uh, you know, co-executive producer, but they're all just talking. They're all just spitting out ideas for what should be in this episode. And, um, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. I want to talk briefly about actors and the role that actors play in relation to your words. To start with, uh, Olivia Dabo, an actress you know quite well. I've uh, met her. Has said that you have an appreciation for and an understanding of acting. So do you agree with that? You feel that you really do have that? Well, I hope so. I'm getting ready to marry one. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I hope that's true. 
Um, we'll see when we actually eventually work together. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I do. And I think partially that stems from, uh, like what I was saying earlier when, you know, when I was younger, I thought I was going to be an actor and I was always, uh, performing, uh, and everything. And at some point just my, my interest went a different way. So I think when I write, I tend to look at it more from an actor's, uh, um, point of view than say a director's point of view for sure. Um, that, um, I, you know, I guess the easiest way to say that is maybe I write performance based. I mean, ultimately I write story based, but, but perform, I definitely have a keen eye for that because I want to write something that an actor can't possibly turn down. You know, that's, that's how I go, go about it. And, um, and, and yeah, I am every role in the script when I'm writing something. It's, it's every, you know, child, parent, woman, man, you know, whatever it is, I, I am that person, you know, when, when I'm writing that dialogue, uh, and it's what sounds natural and right, you know, coming out of my mouth, yeah. you know, in this. So I tackle, you know, the first part of it, writing that way. And when I'm on set uh, producing, uh, I definitely uh, speak with the actors uh, frequently as, as much as I can. And that rubs Sometimes, you know, some of the directors the wrong way because they like to be the only ones doing that. And I understand that. But at the same time, <laughs> it's my script, man. My name's on it. And uh, I want these words done right and the scene done right. And I'm not going to step on your toes. But, uh, you know, if they, if they need to hear me talk, you know, I'm, I'm going to go up and talk to them, you know, if I have something to say. Uh, and, you know, I, they respond to that and they respect that because, you know, actors want to be directed, you know, and they want to hear the writer's perspective, uh, you know, especially if, you know, the director might not be speaking to them in a way that they, you know, understand, especially if I'm the regular presence because, you know, I'm, I'm there on set, you know, the whole time. How satisfying is it to see and hear your words performed by actors as you wanted? I mean, as you heard it in your head when writing, that's got to be so satisfying. It's, it's, it's satisfying, except for when it's not. Um, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's fun, uh, but... It's cool. You know, it sort of depends on, on what I was saying earlier a little bit of like how much you got rewritten. You know, sometimes it's definitely bittersweet when you know you wrote something better than what's uh, winding up in the shooting script. And, um, you know, and most of the time the actors aren't privy to that, you know, how much you've been rewritten or not been rewritten. And so that's that's a little tough. And, you know, when it happens that way, the other time, you know, when it's something that you love and, and, you, and you watch them and that's when it's like you realize it's a marriage. Their ass is on the line too, and and they gotta hit it and they gotta nail it right to get it. And um, I have seen both sides. I have seen it where I have from the very beginning I've written like a scene or an exchange or a line that I love and it's my favorite line in the script or something like that. And I, we get there on on the set on the day and an actor just kills it. They just like bungle this line and just like they're just not getting it. And you can't go up there and like give a line reading. It's like, no, no, say it like this, you know, because if you do that, they'll, they'll punch you in the face and, and you'll deserve it because it's their job to, to in, interpret it. Um, but it's heartbreaking when they screw it up. Um, at the same time, I have definitely uh, seen an actor elevate things that, that I've written that I thought were either kind of flat or just weren't that special. And they have figured out how to say the exact words that I've written on the piece of paper and actually put a spin on it or put a look on it or do something in a way that like, oh, wow, that, I thought that was a deadline. And, and you just like got yourself like the, you know, the, the commercial moment, you know, the teaser moment, you know, of that, you know, and that's when you see like, oh, yeah, that, they, they are. That is a that is a major craft uh, just like mine. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 you 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 see the whole rainbow. What do you have coming up as a writer right now? I know you're working on Yellowstone, and mm-hmm. you've got God Incorporated coming up. Yeah, that's that's my baby, uh, and that is is it's a television show that I wrote, uh, and um, it's a thing I've been wanting to do in television for the longest time. And it, it, it's um, it's challenging. It's tough material because it's about the big business of organized religion. So it's um, a lot of people are scared of that right out of the box. I, I've heard that from a couple of um, broadcasters uh, that are just like, you know, oh, great writing. That's that's way too dangerous for us. You know, so they won't touch it. So it's going to be a long haul. I've gone through this process where I had a great director attached. I had a great actor attached. I had several great actors attached that have like dropped out, you know, for whatever reasons. I had Chris Pine attached. I had Jared Leto attached and these different people come and go and like putting this whole thing together. Um, you know, so it's going to be a bit of a haul, uh, you know, getting that to the particular place. HBO is really interested and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there, but it's an ongoing process and I know that's going to happen eventually. Uh, but, uh, so I'm doing that at the same time. I got like two or three other different television projects I'm developing at the same time. I have a meeting, uh, next week about, uh, uh, we're trying to make a, a TV show out of the great sci-fi book, Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, which I love so much. I actually titled uh, an episode of television I wrote, Stranger in a Strange Land. That was part of my like, hey, you guys got to hire me to do this because see, I've got my bona fides. Uh, I've already titled something that. Um, so, you know, hopefully that could happen as well and uh, a few different other projects even uh, that I've been doing. And again, like same thing on the feature side. I, I'm always working on that as well. And I have uh, three different movies I'm, I'm uh, in the process of putting together, but it's that slow slog of, uh, of, you know, putting those components together, the producer and the director, the directors take the longest to read. Oh my God. It takes so long to read. It mm-hmm. is, it is, uh, it is, it is unbelievable how long they take to read. I have Mike DeLuca who's producing, uh, one of my movies and, um, he's a big giant, uh, huge super producer and worked with everybody. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'll give it to David Fincher. And like three months go by, four months go by or something like, man, he knows you. Like if he won't, if he, if he won't read it, you know, that, uh, in any sort of reasonable time frame, you know, from you is like, uh, he's not going to listen to his agent, you know? So it's like, you just, me and my manager always wonder is like, what do they do? What do directors do all the time? Right. Uh, because they don't read scripts, uh, you know, that much we know. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a tough process, but, uh, these three different things that I'm putting together, like, wow, they couldn't be more different. Uh, so I, I kind of like to jump around one's, one's sort of a, uh, a satirical thing. It's a cross between American beauty and network. Uh, the, that, that great seventies movie. Um, that's, I'm trying to put together. I had some like different Oscar nominated and winning directors, uh, circling around that. And, you know, so we'll see in another one. That's sort of a an Elmore Leonard uh, sort of crime caper uh, that my agency is trying to put together and you know give it to different actors and directors putting that together and this other brand new one that I have that I'm putting together it's a I call it my anti romantic comedy it's uh, it's uh, it's sort of a, my version I I couldn't ever write a straight romantic comedy so it's sort of my version of that and it's a it's a little love story but super dark and cynical and and uh, and, and funny and uh, the type of thing that I'd want to see. So with God Incorporated, that means you're going to be in a position of having created the show. Would you be the showrunner on it? Oh, most definitely. That one, because I've written uh, most of the season of that already. Uh, so it's mostly all done. Uh, I'm, I'm putting that together. I'm working on another. Uh, I, I had done a couple of years ago a, a television adaptation of this Warren Ellis book called Gun Machine. 
that uh, Warren Ellis is a god in the world of comic books and graphic novels, and uh, he wrote this novel, Gun Machine, this weird, like, gnarly cop story. And I uh, I got hired to write that for this different streaming place that isn't even doesn't even exist anymore. And years later now, uh, some other producers found it, and we're trying to you know revive it, and we're talking to some big highfalutin. Uh, directors uh, for that as well so you know but it's a crapshoot you never know these things take forever so that's why like as you're seeing here is like i got like eight different things i'm i'm, I'm working on putting together because uh you just never know what's going to happen and it's uh you know I, i'd go crazy if i wasn't uh, working on something uh you know at the same time so when you have that many going what would happen if all of them go through <laughs> what are you going to do then I am waiting for that champagne problem uh, to, to happen uh, to where I have to like, oh, goodness, I have to, you know, hand off one of these shows to somebody else or something or a friend to uh, to, to, to run over. But it's it's like it's so few and far between that, that anything like that ever happens. I mean, we're talking about a town where like last year a project went out to the town that had Meryl Streep attached to a TV show that had Meryl Streep attached to Star in and everybody passed on it. So it's like, so it's like, I know it's, it's, it's so hard to believe. Uh, and, and it's like, really? The passing on Meryl Streep and JJ Abrams was producing it too. And everybody said no. And like, they like, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. So that's like, that's the, the town that you're, that you're dealing with. You just, yeah. anytime you think you know anything is like, okay, that's, that's, you know, you never know. So Brett, you picked the uh, clip at the beginning that we played from the killing. Why did you like uh, that particular clip for us to use? Well, it, it, it uh, you know it was a show that I was proud of, and it was a show that I was I was happy to work on, and um, it's uh, it it uh, the actor was maybe the best actor I've worked with, uh, Peter Skarsgård, uh, who was in that is a good guy and uh, consummate professional, and um, we were both uh, long distance runners, and uh, out of our like because uh, we shot in Vancouver, uh, and I was like ah I gotta you know I gotta, he was like oh, I'll go running with you. Uh, and he's like, where, uh, where are you, where do you, where do you run? He's like, Oh, up Mount, whatever it is. It's like 10 miles, you know, there. I'm like, see you later. <laughs> no, no, thanks. That's too far for me. Uh, anyways, nice guy. Uh, in this particular season, uh, his storyline was isolated. He was in prison in a cell the entire time. And when we started writing the season, that was the storyline that the, uh, showrunner Vina was like most afraid about, uh, that it was going to be hard to pull off dramatically or get redundant. And I was actually convinced that it was going to be the best part. And I think I was proven right uh, on that because he, the strength of what he did, he was so, was so good. And in this particular episode, it was a big episode for him because um, I wanted to really focus on a storyline. And, and he's uh, facing execution uh, throughout the entirety of the season. And so he, you know, prisoner's life, it, it's usually with the guards right there, especially on death row. And he got into it with this guard uh, where he starts taunting him uh, and the guard just sort of quietly takes it and then sort of sends it right, right back to him and keeps ta starts taunting him about, um, uh, you know, the, he's like, Hey, do you hear that noise? And in the background, you hear this hammering uh, that you don't really recognize. And then he brings it up and you realize that he's like, yeah, no, that's, they're building the gallows. That's where you're going to swing from. And it just takes the wind right out of uh, Sarsgaard's, um, uh, you know, his, his sort of uh, posturing, you know, that he has. Uh, and those actors played it so well. Uh, and you see just Sarsgaard start to deflate. And um, 
then he, uh, you know, the next scene he's with another different guard and all of a sudden he's supposed to be weighed uh, to get the measurements right for the noose and, you know, the counterweight uh, and everything. And it's gotten into his head and you see he's too scared to step on the scale. And that actor plays it really well as well. And I was just always really proud uh, of those scenes in that sequence. And there's that final beat in it, you know, where he he's back in his cell and he's the guard doesn't even have to taunt him so much anymore. He just kind of stands there and talks about, Hey, what are you gonna have for your last meal? And, and, uh, Peter just thrashes his cell and on set when we were watching it, man, it, it was amazing to see him like throw all this into it. And he did like three takes and he demolished the cell and he was just exhausted after it and emotionally spent. And it was, it was just a really good moment. And it was, uh, it was, it was cool, uh, to see that play out. That's one of those ones where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, happy and proud, you know, uh, uh, of what I wrote and how these guys did it. And now years later, actually, the other actor in the scene, Hugh Dillon, uh, I'm working with him again on, on Yellowstone where, uh, he's the sheriff on that. Uh, so, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty full circle, I guess. That was a great choice. Get on. You gotta be weighed. We needed to measure the counterweight. <laughs> counterweight. That's a nice word. Looking forward to it, Evan? I'm not on the execution team. Why not? Hmm? Don't like a good show? Huh? I don't have time for this. Get on the scale. Get on. Just give me a second. Get your way right. Your neck will break like it's supposed to. You won't feel any pain. Seward, look at me. Get on, or I will put you on. Gary Gilmore's last meal was, right? Steak and potatoes. Limit's 15 bucks nowadays, so you probably get Salisbury steak. Come on, boss, you gotta pick one. How long's it been since your last dessert? I don't want my lawyer. Get yeah. on the phone right now. What, you change your mind? You want the needle now, Ray? You guys are like clockwork, busting balls when you get in here. I want my lawyer! Deadline's passed, Ray. You can't change the execution method now. I'm sorry. Salisbury steak it is. Here you go.
So one thing we do on this show when we're talking to writers is we like to put you on the hot seat a little bit when it comes to <laughs> things like grammar and cliche phrases and stuff like that. So if I was to say a certain word, tell me if this is a real word, irregardless. <laughs> irregardless is not a word. Thank you. I always get known as the grammarian uh, on whatever show that I work on. When people, when I see people write up on the board, like uh, something like all right, A-L-R-I-G-H-T, you know, one word. I'm like, that's not a word. It's two words. <laughs> the one that drives me crazy the most is people are terrified of, uh, of, 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 of the S apostrophe S um, uh, to pluralize something uh, or to show ownership of something. And it's like, they always want to do like S apostrophe, you know, like it's, Chris's book. It's you know, C-H-R-I-S apostrophe book. I'm like, no, you're talking about multiple Chris's. Uh, if you say uh, it's C-H-R-I-S apostrophe S. I know it looks weird, but that's how it's supposed to be. And it is amazing how often you see that out there uh, in the world in like print, or not some less often in print, but definitely online. I, I can't tell you how many like reputable websites, everything from CNN to you know MSNBC, you know whatever, uh, uh, of uh, getting that grammatical thing wrong. Um, but uh, the New York Times doesn't. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. One other thing that's always struck me with writing, when you have a dialogue going on by the actors that's from the script, and one of them or both of them keeps saying the other character's name over and over and over, which never strikes me as being yeah. realistic. Is that something that's in the scripts, do you think? Or is this the actors just kind of, they get it in the moment and they just keep doing it for some reason? You know what? That's a pet peeve of mine, too. And I hate that. I hate that whenever I see that on television or in the movies. And whenever uh, that comes out, I always know that it's a script issue. Uh, and, and, and it's usually a fault of the writers that um, that they do that in the script. And and I don't know. It's like I never really had that problem. Maybe I did early on, but I eradicated it so early in my career that I don't ever do that. And I always try and tell people that. It's like when you think about like even your spouse or your best friend is like, how often do you say their name out loud? Like I, I like I haven't said my best friend's name to him in like 15 years because you just you just don't say it. But somehow, like when you start typing, because I read so many scripts that have, have people do it. Well, the thing is, Chris, you know that your book, uh, you know, is pluralized wrong. Um, you know, it's like you just don't say that. You say, you know, the thing is, you, your book is pluralized wrong. It's yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me completely bonkers. And I, do, I think, I think for the most part. Especially when stuff like that, you know, the actors are reading the, the script, and I think it, I think it, I have to, I have to wag my finger at my brethren here and say most often uh, the writers do write that, and it's like one of those things that they have to, like, you know, learn to 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 eradicate because it is it is a it is a uh, it is a bad writing quality. It's a bad writing tick. Yeah, yeah, me. you're right. It drives me so crazy, and 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 I have to admit, I was. I was ready to impugn the actors. I thought maybe they just get into a thing and they keep doing it. But if it's coming from the writers, that's kind of disappointing to hear. Yeah, I mean, I obviously never want to never want to uh, blame my tribe, uh, but uh, just with the sheer frequency with which um, I, uh, I, I I read scripts and see it in the scripts, I know I know that uh, it, it's it's a common thing. Just like s apostrophe s is yeah. not in there. So do you have any advice for aspiring writers as we close here? Well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give that advice that uh, Casey Silver gave me, which is I truly believe it's all about tenacity. Um, it, it, it really is 
um, keep writing, you know, is the thing, uh, you know, don't like, you know, oh, come out, you know, or begin with one script and just like, Hey, you know, constantly call your agent or your manager or whatever and say that, um, you know, Hey, what's going on with that? It's like, you gotta, you finish one, you gotta write a new one. You finish that one, you gotta write a new one and just keep going and going and going. And you are going to get so much rejection. The, the uh, fable, you know, of the person that walks into the town and, you know, just gets a William Morris agent right away and, you know, lands a job on, uh, you know, whatever hit show is, is while it happens and I've seen it happen firsthand to somebody that um, it's rare. So yeah. it's just, you, you, you just have to wait it out, you know? And, and like <laughs> what I was always thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to go back to school and get a degree. It's like, don't do that. That's pointless. You just got to be good. So, and, and to get good, it, it's practice. Cause like ultimately, and I believe this about all art from writing to painting to any kind of uh, musicianship, um, with originality and creativity, uh, it can't be taught. It can only be practiced. Yeah. You know, there's only so much that, 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 a, that an art instructor or that a writer, you know, or, you know, can teach you about being creative and original to a certain degree. You either got it in you or you don't, but even if you got it in you, yeah, you need practice. Um, so once you learn the fundamentals from that teacher, it's just practice. Just do it over and over again, read as much as you can. Uh, but just, keep doing it, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, that whatever that Winston Churchill quote is just never, ever, ever give up. Um, because, um, it's, it's hard, man. It, it, it is hard. I mean, when you think about it, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but there's something like 17,000 members of the writer's guild and half of those don't even work, uh, or work so rarely that they're, you know, barely, you know, register, um, that you that there is a scant few voices, you know, just like in, in the single thousands that are largely responsible for all the content that you see in movies and television. That's not that many people, you know. That's not that many people at all. Uh, and so it is. It is. It is a, it is a rough, vicious club uh, to to get into. To you know, the first job is the hardest, obviously. But um, yeah, you need to practice, but you also need. And uh, if anybody says this didn't affect them. They're crazy. A healthy, healthy, healthy amount of luck um, always helps. Uh, take luck over talent any any day of the week. Well, that's great advice. I appreciate that. I know you got to get to a Dodgers game. Now, just, just to let you know, uh, I'm a, a, a devoted Giants fan, so I have to root uh, against the home team. I'm sorry. Oh, man, you're killing just, me. I know. I'm sorry. Well, this is an especially tough game for me tonight because we're playing the Diamondbacks, and the opposing pitcher is Zach Grinke, oh, who... Boy. Happens to be my favorite pitcher, um, so so it's really rough that my favorite uh, favorite pitcher is on the opposing team because um, uh, I really didn't like that. And like a couple of years ago, it was tough for me for the Giants too, just because because uh, I love Hunter Pence uh, and, and I love Tim Lincecum. It was like you know how conflicted I was as a Dodger fan uh, <laughs> liking those two guys. And I went to a game once where Lincecum was pitching and Hunter uh, Pence hit three home runs and seven RBIs. And uh, it was just like, it was like, oh, my God, I, I almost want to cheer for the Giants in Dodger Stadium. And I have to kick my own ass. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Final thing is we have a tradition here. Um, and by the way, I was not aware that um, our producer, Dan, already does this on his show every Friday with Dan and Olivia. So he was kind enough not to ever tell me this. So I appreciate that he did that. But uh, we like to let our guests choose the closing music. So what would it be that you would like us to uh, send us away with? Well, uh, it, it is something that has a two points of relevance now uh, that uh, is something that um, 
again, my, my, my beloved uh, TV show, God Incorporated, uh, I have most of that first season written and the season finale, which I've always had in my head, uh, the last moment is uh, going to be going over a song, or a song is going to be played over it, and it's Bob Dylan's It's All Right, Ma, uh, which has a particular thematic uh, element to the whole storyline of the entire show, and especially this, this uh, first season ending moment. Um, so I'm definitely gonna, gonna have to pay to, you know, get the rights to that, uh, you know, when the time comes to get that, uh, on there in that moment. Uh, and now I, I am forced to point out though, that song title is improperly grammatically, uh, um, <laughs> written. He spells it wrong. Maybe it was intentional, but who knows? Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on this show. We really appreciate it. Um, like I said before, I am a big TV guy. I always have been. I love watching television, and I've always been fascinated by it. And it's been a thrill for me to have someone who actually works in that industry come on here and, and uh, share so much with us. So thank you very much. Sure thing. I absolutely appreciate it. And I'm going to give one, one, uh, one, one, since you're such a big TV fan, I'm going to tell you something about uh, a tip. It's been my favorite show of the last few years that just nobody watches because it's on a strange place, uh, which is Kingdom, which was on uh, uh, DirecTV, their audience network channel. It is a, it just ended, you know, this year, but it is a spectacular show. It's the best family drama on television, but it's set in this world of uh, mixed martial arts, which I don't even like, uh, but it's so good and so well written uh, uh, that uh, it, it captures me and it's just incredibly gripping. So if you haven't seen that one, that's my, that's my uh, television advice. Uh, watch that one. Well, I appreciate that recommendation. I'll look for that because I, I haven't even, I, I may have heard of it, but I, I don't know anything about it. So I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, it's a great show. All right. Well, Brett, thank you very much. You are certainly welcome. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Long Stories Short with Kevin Courtright. If you'd like to send Kevin your thoughts, comments, or suggestions, he can be reached at lsswithkc at gmail.com. Once again, that email address is lsswithkc at gmail.com. We also invite you to join our podcast Facebook group where you can share your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and long story short, we look forward to having you join us again next time. Darkness at the break of noon Shadows, even the silver spoon The handmaid blade, the child's balloon Eclipses both the sun and moon To understand you know too soon There's no sense in trying Pointed threats, they bluff with scorn Suicide remarks are torn From the fool's gold mouthpiece The hollow horn plays wasted words Proves to warn that he not busy being born Is busy dying Temptation's page flies out the door You follow, find yourself at war Watch waterfalls of pity roar You feel the moan, but unlike before You discover that you just be one more person crying So don't fear If you hear A foreign sound To your ear it's all right, Ma. 
I'm only sighing As some worn victory, some downfall Private reasons, great or small Can be seen in the eyes of those that call To make all that should be killed to crawl While others say don't hate nothing at all Except hatred Disillusion words like bullets bark As human gods aim for their mark Make everything from toy guns that spark To flesh-colored Christs that glow in the dark It's easy to see without looking too far That not much is really sacred Our preachers preach of evil fates Teachers teach that knowledge waits Can lead to hundred dollar plates Goodness hides behind its gates But even the president of the United States Sometimes must have to stand naked And though the rules of the road have been lodged It's only people's games You got to dodge And it's all right, Ma I can make it Advertising signs that con you into thinking you're the one That can do what's never been done That can win what's never been won Meantime, life outside goes on all around you You lose yourself, you reappear You suddenly find you got nothing to fear Alone you stand with nobody near When a trembling distant voice unclear Startles your sleeping ears to hear That somebody thinks they really found you A question in your nerves is lit Yet you know there is no answer fit To satisfy and sure you not to quit To keep it in your mind and not forget That it is not he or she or them or it That you belong to But though the masters make the rules For the wise men and the fools I got nothing more to live up to For them that must obey authority that they do not respect in any degree Who despise their jobs, their destiny, speak jealously of them that are free Do what they do just to be nothing more than something they invest in While some on principles baptized To strict party platform ties Social clubs in drag disguise Outsiders they can freely criticize Tell nothing except who you idolize And say God bless him
While one who sings with his tongue on fire Gargles in the rat race choir Bent out of shape from society's pliers Cares not to come up any higher But rather get you down in the hole that he's in But I mean no harm Nor put fault On anyone that lives in a vault But it's all right, Ma If I can't please him Old lady judges watch people in pairs Limited in sex they dare To push fake morals, insult and stare While money doesn't talk it swears Obscenity, who really cares? Propaganda all is phony While them that defend what they cannot see With a killer's pride, security It blows their minds most bitterly For them that think death's honesty Won't fall upon them naturally Life sometimes must get lonely My eyes collide head on with stuffed graveyards False goals I scuff at pettiness which plays so rough Walk upside down inside handcuffs Kick my legs to crash it off Say, okay, I've had enough What else can you show me? And if my thought dreams could be seen They'd probably put my head in a guillotine But it's all right, Ma It's life and life only 